as the sun began to set and Margie realized she should be spotting the airport in Alabama, but she didn't. And she began to wonder where she was and she was lost. But at that time, the training planes didn't have radios in them. She had no way to call and say, where am I? Can you find me on radar? Those kinds of things didn't exist. So as it began to get darker, she decided she needed to put the plane down. You're listening to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast. My name is Tatiana Fallon, and I'm your host. This podcast is run by the organization Stories Behind the Stars. This has nothing to do with Hollywood. We are telling the stories behind the stars that were given in World War II. For those of you who are not familiar, during World War II, when a service member was killed, the family received a banner with a gold star on it. We are telling the stories behind these stars. Our goal is to put them all 400,000 into a common database, which then we will build a smartphone app that will be searchable from any location where you can read the story behind the star and you can really come to know the individual that died on D-Day and fought for our freedoms or the individual who's doing their job on the home front and died in a plane crash. This podcast is dedicated to telling those stories as we find them, as our researchers are doing this amazing research. You'll hear from researchers who are all volunteers from all across the country and you'll hear their story, what brought them to the project, and then also the stories that they're finding. This is amazing content, and I really hope you enjoy this adventure. In today's episode, we have the opportunity to hear from Lee Snyder. She's one of our volunteers here at Stories Behind the Stars, whose personal project is to highlight the women who were killed in World War II. She's doing amazing research and has some great content. So excited to hear about it today. It's Lee Snyder, and I want to introduce you to Naomi Ann Bennett. Like many young people in World War II, Naomi Ann Bennett spent her life in one area, in and around Indianapolis. She was the second born of nine children. Her father, Kenneth Bennett, and her mother, Faye Fullard, raised her and four brothers and four sisters. Most of her life was spent in Greenfield, Indiana, and in Indianapolis. Her father supported them by being a plumber and later an auto mechanic. For her freshman year, she attended Martinsville High School in Indianapolis. But after that year, she made a change that you'll see become significant in her future. She switched and attended Arsenal Technical High School, graduating in the class of 40. After that, she worked at the RCA plant in Indianapolis and then at a defense plant owned by the Curtis Wright Corporation. They made things that were very important to the war effort. Those included aircraft engines, electric propellers, and airplanes. While we're not exactly sure what role Naomi played at Curtis Wright, we do know she was involved with the company's softball and basketball programs, which also plays a role in her future. During that time, she was a member of the Hoosier Athletic Club. At that time, she was also engaged to Corporal Virgil Willard Jr. of Indiana. Here's where her story changes. Naomi transferred from supporting the war effort in a factory to joining the military. 
Naomi Ann Bennett enlisted in the United States Marine Corps Women's Reserve as a private in 1944 in Cincinnati, Ohio. From there, she went to boot camp at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and then was assigned to the Marine Corps Air Station, El Toro, California. Using her Curtis Wright employment experience, she was in the assembly and repair department. And she was also the athletic director for her Marine unit. The Marine Corps established the Marine Corps Women Reserve on July 30th of 1942. See, the plan was for women to take shore duty so men could be released for combat. All of the other branches of service had cute nicknames for the women, such as the Navy, calling them waves. Major General Commandant Thomas Holcomb ruled out all nicknames for the female Marines. He said, they are Marines. They don't have a nickname and they don't need one. They get their basic training in a Marine atmosphere at a Marine post. They inherit the traditions of the Marines. They are Marines. By this time, the girl from Indiana is far away in El Toro, California. Family must have seemed very distant. 16 months after joining the Marines, she had a joyful visit from her brother, Robert D. Bennett, who was also a Marine private. See, Robert had been seeing active duty, and he was involved in the invasion of Guadalcanal, plus other battles, and he was shot in the hand by a Japanese sniper during the Saipan Island campaign. After time in the Navy hospital in Oakland, California, he was given a few days to go and see his sister before he underwent some surgeries on his hand. Meanwhile, her other brother, Private Feldon G. Bennett, was in the U.S. Army in the Philippines. Following the visit with her brother, she got to take a leave and go home and see her family. Then she came back to base in El Toro. She had been back on leave about seven days when she set out as a part of a group of six female military. They put the women piled into the car. They had three women in the front seat and three in the back seat of their car. Near Santa Ana, California, the group headed up into the mountainous Highway 100, and they were in a terrible accident. As the car proceeded down the road, the woman who was driving, name is unknown today, struck the rear of the car driven by Major W.R. Norton in El Toro. After striking him, the car crossed the center line and swerved head-on into a huge freight line truck driven by Donald W. Greeland. The three women in the front of the car were instantly killed. That included Naomi, as well as Thelma Shute, a Marine, and Henrietta Mercer, a wave. The three women were decapitated in what the coroner described to the newspaper as Orange County's most gruesome accident. The three women in the back seat, whose names are unknown, had only minor injuries. Major Norton, the driver of the car that was hit, was unhurt. But Mr. Greeland, driving the truck, suffered serious injuries when the truck and trailer overturned and he was trapped. Naomi's family had sent three young people into the military, two sons who went abroad into heavy action, and they survived. The sacrifice came from their daughter, who stayed stateside. Back home, a telegram arrived at midnight, breaking the news to her family, but without any details. They worked through the local Red Cross to find out more information. Her brother Robert 
having finished his surgeries, was still in California recuperating. He had the sad task of accompanying her body back to their parents. She was 23. Naomi's story ends with a full military funeral, complete with a Marine escort. In World War II, men and women came to be pilots in different ways. Men who entered the military and had the ability to become a pilot or were tapped to be a pilot generally had no knowledge of airplanes. They didn't have to be a pilot. They may not have even flown on an airplane and they learned everything they needed to know from the ground up. But when the military decided that they needed extra pilots and where were they going to get that manpower and they turned to women, women were given an entirely different set of rules. The military did not train women from the ground up to be pilots. They expected the women to arrive with a pilot's license in hand. So when women joined the WASPs, which was the Women Area Air Force Service Pilots, they came into the job already holding a private pilot license and holding a number of hours of experience as a pilot. Once they got there, then they were able to take some additional training. It was about 22 weeks worth where they had went through physical conditioning. They worked in military aircraft trainers. They learned to identify aircraft, navigation, meteorology, medical training, seamanship, woodmanship, airplane and engine maintenance, and learned the dot dash code among other things. Big difference is when the women arrived, they were already a pilots. So when you hear about a wasp who lost their life in the war, you need to remember that even if they were in training as a wasp, they were already holding civilian pilot license with numbers of hours of experience. One of the women who lost her life was simply due to human error. And I bet you that most of us can relate to this. Have you ever been parking your car in a tight parking spot and you, after you've pulled in, you've opened the door just a little bit to check where the lines are on the pavement to make sure you're centered in the spot and you've left cars on either side of you enough room to get out and to park? I think almost everyone has done that. Well, that, that relates to the person I'm talking about today. Her name was Marjorie Laverne Davis. And Margie was very interesting wasp because she experienced human error in her flight. So Margie was um, doing her training down in Sweetwater, Texas. That's where the women train. And she was an, a pilot who had gone to the college in California and then put herself through pilot school and had joined the WASPs. And she's only got about three weeks left in the 22 weeks of training. So she's pretty much coming down to the end of this. It, it's time for the women who were training in her group to do a solo flight. So a number of planes went off at the same time and flew with each person fly, flying solo. And they were going from Sweetwater, Texas to Cortland, Alabama. 
Well, when the group of them landed in Stuttgart, Arkansas, they had dinner, and then they took off again, and they had enough time to reach their destination in Alabama before dark. But the problem is the sun began to set, and Margie realized she should be spotting the airport in Alabama, but she didn't. And she began to wonder where she was, and she was lost. But at that time, the training planes didn't have radios in them. She had no way to call and say, where am I? Can you find me on radar? Those kinds of things didn't exist. So as it began to get darker, she decided she needed to put the plane down somewhere before it's completely dark. So she circled around and found a field and she thought, okay, I'm going to try to put the plane down here and it's nearly dark. So she comes in for a landing, and as she gets close to the ground, the plane snags on a wire that really wasn't visible from up in the air as well as that it was getting dark. But she manages to get free of the wire, and she takes off again and comes back around, this time now being aware of the wire, and it is now dark, and she needs to put this plane down. And as she's coming down for a landing, because of the darkness, she could not tell how high up off the ground she was. And so trying to get visibility of how close the ground was, and when to begin breaking, she took off her safety harness and opened that plane door just a crack, like you might have done when you're driving your car, and looked down to look at the ground. And at that moment, the plane hit the ground and it did so with enough force, and because she wasn't restrained, that was the end of Margie Davis's life. Sacrifice in World War II comes in all forms. It's not just those who went off in battle, but it's those who were training to help those who went off in battle that often lost their lives. One of the things about being a wasp was that they weren't afforded the same um, benefits as the men. So women who fought, who were in World War II and lost their lives um, that were a wasp, because the wasp wasn't considered full military, they did not get the benefits of a military funeral. They were received a pine, co pine coffin, and then it was up to their parents to pay their way to have them shipped home. There were no taps, there were no gun salutes, there was no military funeral. In Margie's case, her parents weren't happy that she had taken on such a dangerous occupation. So they weren't very receptive when she was sent home accompanied by another wasp. Apparently the story is that they came to the funeral home and they asked to see her body and the funeral home declined the, such a thing and that there was an argument and eventually the coffin was opened. They looked and they left without saying a word. So Margie had another reason to be brave. It's always hard for one to go against what their parents' wishes are. You wanna fulfill your parents' dreams, but Margie went against her parents' wishes paid for her own flight time, paid for her own flying lessons, paid her way to Sweetwater, Texas 
to, vo to volunteer in the wasps and then gave the ultimate sacrifice by losing her life. And in the end, paid her way to her own funeral. Thank you for listening to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast. Do us a huge favor and find us on whatever podcast platform you listen to and follow us. So you'll be the first to be know when we have a new episode out. Thank you. <laughs>